0: Why is everyone launching points? In the last few months, we've seen Blur conclude season two of their airdrop campaign while simultaneously announcing a new points program with Blast. We've seen Portal Coin's Madness filling the timeline of our crypto Twitter with at Portalcoin tags. We've seen apps like Rainbow Wallet and Rabby Wallet announce point programs. Just this week, we saw Magic Eden announce a new points program. Now for all these brands, a points program means users taking action, could be on or off chain, they get points, and then these points turn into an airdrop. But there's a lot of challenges with an airdrop, which we'll break down today, along with frameworks on how founders, investors, and on-chain doers can take advantage of the points mania that is really just getting started. Today, we're joined by Zach from Snag Solutions, who has worked with World of Women, Proof, Rolling Loud, and many more on their points programs. GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. I'm Jay Bird, and I believe that points to airdrop programs are going to change the world. That's why I'm carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. GM, Zach, Welcome back to Web3 Academy. GMJ, thanks for having me back. It's been a minute since we had you on the show. Today, we're talking about a different topic than last time. I feel like you're my go-to guy in the space. Every time there's a new meta or a new trend, you're just on top of it. And this time, I reached out to you to talk about points because I just wanted your your thoughts and your opinions as a, a leader in the space. And it turned out that you were working on a couple of projects they were very relevant to this conversation. So we said, hey, let's get you on the show. Okay. Before we dive into today's topic, I I just want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to our listeners. Give your little intro, please. Yeah. So
1: uh, I'm Zach. I've been on a couple of times. Thanks for having me back. And Lead Snag Solutions, we're a early leader in NFT infrastructure, but really white labeling high quality consumer applications and experiences for top brands and creators building in the kind of Ethereum and EVM ecosystem. And relevant to today's show, we work on points program is very much in the meta and and probably when I say it, I don't mean it quite the way that, that we'll be talking about it today, but we've done versions of points programs for top creators like World of Women, Proof, and Rolling Loud, and, and their loud Punks NFT, which we'll get into a little bit more today.
0: Awesome. So just the perfect guest to have on the show when we talk about wh- why are points better than tokens? Why are they taking over? And why are we seeing them so much? I want to just start by setting a little bit of context. So I think it's important to recognize that for Everybody that's not in crypto, you can understand points pretty easily by just thinking about your typical airline program or credit card program. You, in the case of an airline, you fly, as a result of flying, you gain points, and then you can use those points to redeem future flights, certain access to lounges, whatever, okay? In the case of a credit card, you spend money, you get points, you can then use those points to redeem, purchase other things, get cash back and whatnot. Okay. Now here's the big difference and why points is so different in web three versus web two is in web three and crypto points equals money. Whereas in web two points equals in kind stuff, basically. So you're getting an opportunity to get something, but it's not a direct correlation to money. Whereas In crypto, we can do projects can directly give you money, usually through an airdrop as a result of you gaining points. That's where we're at right now. And so as a result of that, everybody knows that airdrops are super effective at driving user growth. And at the same time, there's some issues around airdrops. We're going to talk about those in a second. But points have become sort of the predecessor to an airdrop as a way to drive engagement, to get your users involved, to get a lot of attention and a lot of hype on your project. And we've seen it over and over again uh, with multiple projects. Most recently, we've seen it, well, I mean, Blur, we've seen doing it for the past few years with their three seasons. We're in season three now. Recently, we saw Rainbow Wallet launch a launch point program and Rabby Wallet launch points program to basically vampire attack, MetaMask, uh, we saw FrenTech do a points program. They haven't even done their airdrop yet, but they teased it and talked about it. So we're seeing this over and over again throughout crypto. Zach, let's start with what's the problem with airdrops that has led, in your view, to this rising meta, like points media, basically, is the best way I think I can put it where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, it's hard to choose just one, but two of the biggest drivers... Are One, the ability to directly influence the consumer user behaviors that align with business impact, growth, revenue, what, whatever those metrics are that the, the business is uh, optimizing for. And super relevant quote with that in mind is the, the Uniswap CEO, Hayden, after the Uniswap airdrop said, there will never be another airdrop like this again. And what he meant is every airdrop from then out was going to be farmed to some degree. And by publishing these points programs, businesses are helping users understand exactly what they need to do to access points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, associated with this kind of moving to, to number two, they're able to adjust those criteria and figure out what actually drives business impact. Prior to giving away all the token or publishing immutable tokenomics on chain that then can't be modified to make sure that the token is driving growth in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the issue that we have with airdrops are one, you need to know tokenomics. You said it yourself. You do an airdrop, you now are creating an immutable framework for your tokenomics that I mean, I guess you could change it through governance and voting and whatnot, but we can't underestimate the challenge in developing tokenomics. It's very hard to do. I wouldn't even say, every time I ask somebody, like, tell me about a project that's done tokenomics well, they can point to a project, but then they're also like, and here's the issues, right? So it's I'm stealing this quote from you. You said it. You you told me, uh, I think last time we talked, that tokenomics are a social science, and so it's so malleable that that makes it very difficult, especially early on in a project. So that's an issue with with airdrops. So, so big regulatory concerns with airdrops, right? So, and only growing regulatory concerns. Now, hopefully within the next few years, those regulatory concerns are finally addressed and we don't have to worry about it anymore. But right now with so many regulatory concerns, there's been a lot of projects, particularly projects in the US, which is where I know you're located, that- have shied away from an airdrop and as a result they might look to a points program instead because they don't have the regulatory issues. So I think what what we're saying here is a points program will allow you to delay tokenomics, not to say you can delay it forever and to get around any regulatory issues. And I guess the other thing is that you can sort of an avoid a lot of the on-chain complexities like gas. A hundred percent. Right? What in your mind has led to this, like, all of a sudden, it feels like feels like the classic uh, crypto saying, was it gradually and then suddenly? Like, yeah. that's where it feels like we are. Like, points was so gradual, and then all of a sudden, it's everywhere. A hundred percent. I think we have to keep talking
1: about both the issues in tandem at this point in the conversation. Yeah. The, On the regulatory front, we could talk about ApeCoin for a second, where they attempted to both reward ape community participation historically with their airdrop, and they endeavored to create a mechanism to create ongoing value for apes and mutants through staking. But ultimately, the math wasn't done right with, with an eye toward social science and stake rates, such that the unstaked ape pool accrues roughly the same return as the board ape and the mutant ape state pools and so there's effectively no incentive relative to the token at least for someone to stay in the community after they've received their airdrop and that's a good example of something that that exact mechanism would have been a little bit challenging but but points enables them to test that learn what stake rates actually look like collects data from the community to improve the uh the model. And then it's important to note that they're also a great example because, on the regulatory side, they've been under major scrutiny just due to their level of brand in the space and have to be extra careful about not touching or adjusting tokenomics or really contributing to the DAO in any way post launch. And so, you know, we'll talk about others today, like a blur that are operating in a much less regulated way it's not pervasive. It's not like regulatory is the only thing. It's regulatory and it's point slash token model walking mm-hmm. that is prevented. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about almost like a history lesson, I think. And you brought up ApeCoin and what we'll, we'll touch on them in this history lesson of if we go back to the beginning, we sort of had Uniswap as the first airdrop, right? And, and you said yourself that Hidden Adam said there will never be another one like this because he knew that everyone was going to farm and gamify the shit out of it, right? And then we sort of moved along this trajectory from the starting point to basically experimentation of different projects to figure out what was the best way to do an airdrop. And I don't know if you want to walk us through maybe the different phases that we went through from like it being based on holdings in the beginning with something like ApeCoin, to Arbitrum doing it based upon activity on chain and a a little bit of a points program there, although it wasn't like a published points program, or maybe it was published, but it wasn't the focal point, to a blur or a frame that is more so doing a ecosystem-based airdrop or points program to a portal coin that did it you know, not on chain at all and just said, hey, we're going to give you rewards for Twitter activity.
1: Let, let, let's go through that history lesson together. One thing I'd say before we go through that is the more intelligent programs, whether it's Blur that's not point based or Portal that is points-based, They're really intelligent around what are the activities that are going to drive business growth. Mm -hmm. Let let me actually take a a half step back and talk about Rolling Loud for a second, just so I can talk about one of our partners and how they're thinking about things from a PNL perspective, profit, loss. And then this all applies back to any of these businesses that are being intelligent in, in program setup. So for rolling loud they have a uh, loud punks festival pass nft and rolling loud will earn more from this kind of membership and loyalty program if they get marketing benefit from it similar to a portal coin this isn't the biggest thing for them but twitter tweets hashtags instagram posts really thinking about social content creation and augmentation there's holding the asset and not listing it which drives up floor price and then there's paying royalties on sales or else the floor price doesn't actually generate any value for world so kind of poor token sale driven revenue and then the third category that i think we'll get to with them in the future is people purchasing stuff at festivals of course Mm -hmm. right yeah a little different for irl business like themselves and so if you apply that to Blur, they've done this maybe better than anyone else in terms of really thinking about sequentially what are the behaviors within the NFT trading ecosystem in particular that would accrue liquidity to drive volume, eyeballs, and attention towards their platform. Yeah, you know, and we, we all know what happened with Blur, but I think they started with incentivizing, I, I think it was listings first so that they built sell side liquidity and then they incentivized offers to build demand side liquidity. And when they had both of those things in place, it created almost uniswap equivalent mm-hmm. order book density that that made you know NFT trading quite fungible for a while mm-hmm. there. And, and so I think that's really what folks are doing with Portalcoin. Obviously that was a marketing value prop early and we'll see where they go with that in subsequent versions of the 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 points program right How, how that changes over time as they figure out what's driving value for their launch
0: yeah it's interesting that you keep bringing it back to this perspective of what is the business objective here right when most people look at airdrops they just think free money they're just so focused on from a user standpoint, right? Great, there's an airdrop, I get free money. But you have to remember that as the business, they're not sitting there being like, hey, let's just give a whole bunch of free money to our users. Like that's not the way that they approach this. They approach this from a particular business objective. Often, what we have seen multiple times is, I mean, there's a few different business objectives we could break down, but often, and most of of the time, the objective is user growth, whether it be in the case of an Arbitrum, you want on-chain user growth, and you also want developer user growth, right? Or in the case of a blur, you want buyers and sellers, as you said, demand side and sell side. So depending upon what your product is, you focus on that growth and building that growth. And that has been the primary reason for these airdrops is to attract this user growth. Now, obviously, I think we all philosophically like to believe that there's also this objective around governance in the long term, but no projects really proven that yet that we can really get there. I I often just see people shitposting that they're like imagine everybody who got a point also was told that they had to show up to a Zoom call and vote on governance for their in order to claim their point. Like nobody would ever do it. But it does come back to this business business objective and In a very short period of time, only a few years, we have seen a bunch of projects experiment with going straight to an airdrop. And we've seen that there is a lot of challenges there because what if you're not incentivizing the right behavior because you don't know what consumer behavior actually matters to your product and to the consumer, right? So it's led us to this point where it's like, let's use a points program to learn and to test. And then we'll find out, oh, that's what people care about. That's what leads to action. And then, okay, we can reward that within an airdrop. Is that bought on? Well, one thing I don't think we've talked about
1: yet, but you kind of triggered for me is, you mentioned airline programs mm-hmm. earlier. There's a merging of the airline points program and the tokenomics model happening here this is somewhat thesis driven on my end there there hasn't been enough time for it to play out but i suspect blur will not be successful long term because they have a four-year token allocation schedule i've said this from the beginning and so i think they are set up to be successful for up to four years because at that point, all of the token will have been distributed and they'll be very susceptible from a vampire attack from the next blur. Yeah. And so what needs to happen for a business to be sustainable is for them to find equilibrium on tokenomics, whether that's driven by sinks in the token model or driven by ongoing token allocation where there's kind of uncapped supply and it's The Constructed, but you know we'll, we'll
0: we'll see how that all plays out. I, I completely agree with Blur. To be honest, I'm impressed with their ability to continually push it back a season. I thought season two was going to be the la- you know I was like, how on earth are they going to have anybody interested after season two? Like it's going to be it's done. What more can you do? And then they launched Blast. They had a whole points program run like that. They pushed the points casino to the limit in my mind. And they're incredible at that. And now it's actually in the short term made me, I'd say a little bit bullish on Blur. Like I really, really do believe, but I think there's an end to that, as you said. Now, the one caveat I would say is what if they turn on some sort of value accrual to holders the way we all expect that Uniswap might do that someday? That could change the model. But anyways, we don't need to go down that path. Okay, so in this sort of spectrum of, of where we started with ApeCoin and ENS being sort of early on, they said okay, we're going to airdrop based upon based on holdings basically, right? Didn't really work. And you're an Ape holder, you'd participate actively in ApeCoin DAO, so you can really speak to that. Then we had Arb do a little bit of a airdrop based upon Activity, so you took activity in, within ARB, and you actually got points assigned to you. Now they didn't use; they wouldn't have called it a points program. They would have focused on an airdrop because we didn't really talk about points back then. And then more recently, I want to talk about Portal Coin. More recently, because they're a more recent example of okay, now you're saying we're not going to talk at all about tokenomics. We're not going to talk at all about the airdrop, other than to say it's going to come as a result of a points program. And we're instead just going to focus on how do we drive the business objectives that we have. So maybe can you walk us through what happened with Portalcoin? And I don't know if you want to start with what you think their business objectives are and way, why they made the decisions they made, or I'll let you. Yeah, talk.
1: and I, I've not deeply researched this. So so this is you know off the cuff a bit, but it's very clear to anyone on Twitter that they were trying to get their message out on Twitter it's clear they were exceptionally successful in creating a density of tweets. And through creating the density of tweets, they learned two things. So the initial goal was was create, I'm sure, positive noise around who we are and what we're doing. And what they initially achieved was a density of tweets, but no actual, back back to kind of augmentation of messaging on social, there was no actual augmentation of what is Portal Coin. I still only rudimentarily understand what what it is and what it's supposed to be. Like it's like uh, it's it's a Web three
0: gaming platform,
1: right? Like, I, I mean, it's it. actually, to some degree, they're going after exactly what ApeCoin is, which is being a currency. You know, ApeCoin calls it the Metaverse. They're calling it maybe more Web three gaming, but they're they're probably going after pretty similar kind of categories to some degree. And coming back to it, initially, the portal coin points program created a bunch of tweet volume with at portal, but no content. And it pissed a lot of people off <laughs> you remember all the like, I've blocked portal coin yeah. tweets go- going on at the same time. And so then what they were able to do to recalibrate and seems like this has gotten them moving in the right direction is points being driven by augmenting the portal coin handle content via quote tweet right and and this is all twitter api based and really just one category if you think about kind of like marketing versus usage versus direct revenue contribution being three components of, of growth that can be driven through tokenomics they've been really focused only on visibility at this mm-hmm. point but you could imagine as they get ready for that launch that program extending to Anything from from waitlist signups to claiming, purchasing, and actual usage of the coin in in their ecosystem. So again, mm-hmm. extending back towards those usage and revenue metrics as they go towards launch. Mm-hmm.
0: This makes a ton of sense. If from a business perspective, what comes up for me is I just think I run a digital marketing agency. That's my primary revenue driver. Although I hope Web3 Academy grows to Bankless size someday, but what we do is we do growth marketing for businesses that want to reach new audiences and the one of the number one tactics to do that is paid advertising right and so what we what would you rather do if you're a business and this is ironic because i'm sort of slamming my own agency in a way is would you rather pay for a bunch of ads on twitter right and you know, cold get in front of a whole bunch of people that are, yeah, they're targeted by Twitter's algorithm, and those algorithms are incredible at targeting, no doubt about that. Or would you rather not pay Twitter for the ads and instead put the money directly in the hands of your user by just telling them, hey, these are the activities that if you do, it'll help us achieve success. And so go do these activities. And we'll we'll give you money, and the I, I'm, it's not that black and white. Obviously, no. I mean, I, I, like
1: this is very much a detour, but I'm shocked as you frame it that way. We talk about decentralized social, decentralized everything. You no know, one talks about decentralized advertising. Hmm. Talk about a business
0: model to be disrupted here. So totally, totally, not. and we don't need to go down that path. But the the reason I bring that up is just there is a, a an underlying trend here that connects back to sort of like the ethos of Web3 from the beginning, which was that cut out the middleman, go peer-to-peer, go direct, and make sure that we reward the actual users. Now, in the beginning, that was very simplistic, but now it, it keeps on getting more and more complex as an example like Portalcoin, not to say Portalcoin was crazy complex. Like you basically, as you said, you posted a tweet and all you had to do is put app Coin" in it. Didn't you have to be a tweet about I about Portalcoin? It could literally be anything. <laughs> and then, pretty funny tweets. Like yeah, which is <laughs> But it's pulling out the middleman, it's putting it's peer-to-peer. It's getting direct to your consumer, which is really one of the things that we all one of the reasons that we all love web 3 it kind of it connects back to the ethos okay i want to talk about how our listeners can think about points whether you're like the whether you're a project founder or an on-chain user who just wants to participate in more points programs and airdrops because uh, i think there's a few different buckets here do you want me to to break down these buckets and walk through them or do you want to take the first shot at it I, I I take a crack. Of, I, Go ahead. I think we
1: talked about this ahead of time. Yeah. So but before pulling in a third more Web2 bucket today, there's tokens slash airdrops, right? We've talked about several of those ENS, ApeCoin, Uniswap, Arbitrum, et cetera. And those historically start as tokens the first time that they're announced by the business. And so there's no period during which users can intelligently change their behavior in the right. way that's desired by the business right. to obtain more token allocation. right? What we're seeing a ton of today is points programs that are entirely geared around a typically like six to 12 month max earnings period prior to an initial airdrop. And so if you think about the fact that a lot of these airdrops are 20% of token supply, 30% of token supply, whatever initial allocation, it's really baking that forward to some degree to, to kickstart the tokenomics prior to the launch of the token. But then there's a third category, and Ruling Loud, who I mentioned earlier, probably is a good example in, in this bucket of folks. American Airlines could could maybe... Bit of a stretch, fall in that bucket as well, mm-hmm. where they're pre token. And whether there are internal plans on a token or not, they're creating the infrastructure where if they want to bring that thing on chain in the future, they're already building towards the right kind of loyalty PL, figuring out what behaviors they want to incentivize, whether holding the NFT and going to festivals or getting on flights and upgrading to first class, Mm -hmm. and they're able to kind of intelligently design those programs to have the right profitability objectives. Mm -hmm. And what I think is pretty interesting, I, I know we weren't planning to talk too much about American airlines today and obviously just using them as one points example, but if, you know, if the world moves on chain, like, like we all think it's going to, and if their objective is to have the strongest frequent flyer program then moving that program on chain where points are sellable tradable redeemable even in in other you know competitor or partner experiences that improves the that, that that's what we're all here for it improves the utility of the point or the mile and you know with regulatory clarity improved would would leave all the current mechanics of, of their mileage business available to them. So I think over the long run here, whether that's two or five or 10 years, a lot of these themes will converge on
0: loyalty. And, and I got to say, just to jump in here, two things. One is I do think people need to understand that there's a few different category business categories that you could points, put points within here. When we talk about, like there's the loyalty category where it then fits under the marketing engagement part of a business. And then there's the growth category, which also could fit under marketing, but it's more user growth, getting new users on board. And I guess the big difference there really is that is it for existing users or is it to attract new users? A loyalty program can obviously do both. But I do think that distinction is important because I think right now, at least in most of the points programs that we're all talking about and hearing about, they are—you could almost say—airdrops synonymous with points, and the focus is on getting users right. Oh, Very. I, I also think there is—I I wish I had more good examples than this
1: of this than just Blur, and Blur is one of the best tokenomics examples we've ever seen. They've—you they, know—absolutely crushed the game, as you said earlier. But the points program is really around the launch of the tokenomics. Versus the buy-sell-side liquidity we just talked about in Seasons 1 and 2 of Blur, those are much more correlated with what a traditional loyalty program is trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. achieve, which is transaction volume, really, right? And so I think there's a pre-launch marketing-focused stage of these token launches versus probably a more status quo, revenue-generation-focused stage that that we haven't gotten into quite as much yet.
0: Yeah. 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 I also just got to say, who is going to be the first major enterprise to turn their loyalty program into points? You're basically directly asking that question. I don't know the answer to that. The ones that pop up to me are Starbucks because Starbucks has Starbucks Odyssey. So they are already trying to build out their Odyssey points program, which is their on-chain program. Now that actually, it does not use on-chain it doesn't use a fungible token. It uses NFTs. So, and then we also have Uptrip, which is by Luthanza. So, one of the biggest airlines in the world. And they have a program as well. But there's also uses NFTs. Like there isn't an existing, none of the existing enterprises are using fungible tokens yet, like in there in any capacity. Because I don't know if it's regulatory or if it's just that, as you said, this tokenomics is very complex and there's huge risk in the way they might roll that out, that they could get it wrong. Anyways, I've just got to, I don't know if you have a take on who you think would be the first one and we could play this clip like four years from now when we're like, American Airlines did it. No, I, I think all I would say is that you're
1: thinking about it the same way I am in that the businesses that are really experimenting in Web3 today, and we could add Nike and Adidas to that yep. category, right? Those are likely to be the ones that lead it. With some type of real token offering and i will come back again to the core thing that any intelligent business loyalty program etc does is they iterate based on changes in social behavior purchasing behavior etc and that is explicitly what any western regulatory regime the us anywhere in europe australia for sure i'm not great at naming all the countries but at Lufthansa, American Airlines, et cetera, they are firmly boxed out from this category where at least digital collectibles are a little bit grayer today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. trying to yeah. stay away from that securities territory.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about rolling out because you brought it up at the beginning in order to add some context, but I want to dive deeper into a little bit about what they're doing because what I find very interesting about them and where I think that- we've landed so far is that points programs make a lot of sense because it allows you to delay tokenomics and to experiment and test and to learn like portal coin did that just telling everybody to use at portal coin is not really the greatest tactic although in fairness i think they got the press and the coverage and the virality that they were looking for but now, what it, what it is very interesting to me about what the projects are you are working on is you're less focused on this. We're focused on an airdrop in order to get like massive user growth. You're more focused on working with projects that already have a community. And I guess they're trying to figure out a few things. One, they're trying to get more engagement from the users. And two, they're trying to figure out how to make this damn thing actually profitable because- Royalties are gone, and that was probably their biggest revenue generator, and they're like, oh shit, what do we do now? Especially when the case of Rolling Loud, it's a lifetime pass to every one of their music festivals, right? A 100%. I'm going to
1: talk a lot about Rolling Loud today, but one thing I'll say up front is there are at least a half dozen of these Web2 businesses that we're working with or talking to and not yet live who launch digital collectible programs of some sort are still generally the ones we're talking to very excited about the future of web three and are all gravitating towards how do we pull what we're doing with digital collectibles together with our core loyalty program that could be just an email list they have today it could be you know something a little bit more engaged like a starbucks point system but what they're really trying to figure out is how do we bridge these two things such that we're able to drive positive contributions from our, our community or fan base while pervert, preserving some kind of level of increased access, VIP membership, etc., for their NFT holders.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you tell us some of the specifics of the points program? Because it's a, for the rolling loud, it's a points program, right? It's not a token program. Yes. I I don't know, like,
1: Points program is uh, a, a Web three term. They they may call it a loyalty program, but but yeah. that, that's semantics. What they're doing at the core right now, and can talk about this one because it's all you know pretty much live. You can check this out at market.loudpunks.com. But right now, every loud punks NFT accrues ten points per day for every day that it's not listed on any platform. True. And so that, that's kind of the basis of the system. And as they improve the utility of the loud pumps NFT by releasing different experiences, benefits, et cetera, onto the marketplace platform that are redeemable for points, they'll be able to hopefully grow asset price. And at some point in the future here that this has been communicated, they'll stop providing that 10 points per day for assets that are purchased without royalty moving forward. And, and they're trying to get the, this kind of utility in place where there's clear benefits associated with that decision. They're being very intelligent about making sure current holders are all taken care of and that this is clearly message to any for future holders as they're purchasing their assets. But in order to access the points, which will give you access to things like plus ones to festivals ability to loan your ticket to a buddy for a festival you can't attend the ip experiences limited release merge etc cetera, etc cetera. they'll layer in royalties and so now at, at the core of the system and i'll, I'll kind of keep layering on here you'll have incentives for people to hold their nft and not list which should increase floor price we've seen a lot of staking programs, soft staking does the same thing and then you'll have incentives to sell or purchase with royalty so you can accrue those those points and on top of all of that similar to a portal coin there are points available for retweets reposts on instagram and and uses of i think it's the at rolling loud mention in those points posts and so next steps for this program will include and and i'm probably talking like six to twelve month roadmap now Opening this up to their broader rolling loud ecosystem where anyone can engage on social, just like Portal Coin, and, and start to earn those points. I, I should caveat it, it could be sooner than six months, but my, my goal here is not to communicate the rolling loud timeline. But the point is that they have kind of thought about all of the various ways that both Loud Punks holders and their broader community can drive value to. Their festival PNL really at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and I, I think over time we'll ingest more data sources like app kind of cash downloads and in festival purchasing and merch store I- items purchased recurring recurring festival attendance for non loudpunks holders. All of those are data sources that we can bake into this and provide points for. All while starting to build this kind of decentralized and on-chain membership base as things move towards a more decentralized version of these programs I'm describing today.
0: Is the objective when you are working with a client like Rolling Loud, I don't want to necessarily say this is their objective, but in general, and you might not even be able to answer this question directly, but in your view, is the objective that eventually these points programs will become Tokens. What I'll say to to not, and I, I want to like fir- firmly disconnect
1: this from rolling out. But these businesses generally are trying to preserve optionality at the very least, right? So, right. so they want the ability to move this on chain if they so choose
0: in the future, right? Yeah. Right. Where that leaves us is that launching in a fungible token, it would not necessarily have much benefit for a lot of these businesses right now because. Most of their users are not on chain, right? And B, I mean, it would just get you a whole bunch of like bots and farmers, which like I don't. think got IRL
1: festival, like Rolling Loud, and out. that's exactly it. that. That's like the core thing I heard from from my core Web three lead contact, Ronald at Rolling Loud, is we want to move away from speculative right participation and towards. Making the thing work really well for our core audience and, and yes. having it have inherent value to them that is greater than the value of this thing to a trader,
0: right? Right. So what I'm hearing here, just to sort of like summarize the perspective, and you can jump in here too on if a business came to you and said, "Hey, Zach, I'm ch- I'm trying to think about how to you know achieve user growth, achieve more user loyalty, more engagement," and you were advising them. That your advice would be, okay, if you're in the camp of you're early and you're just trying to attract users in order to prepare for your launch, then use a points program in order to, and experiment a ton with that points program test, plan to fail, basically, like in some ways, right? Like really push the limits of your test so that you basically... Create a whole bunch of data that can be used to write your token, develop your tokenomics, right? The other state here is if you're an existing Web2 brand, I wonder if you would say develop a points program, whether or not, regardless of the long term goal, develop a points program to start to. It almost doesn't make sense to me why, actually, as I say this, like, why are Web2 companies not doing this already? Like, they don't need on chain. These points aren't on chain. Am I missing something here? I'm. I'm just. I feel like I'm having a, a moment of aha. Uh-huh, no, show I, I,
1: I think that the reason uh, again, this term points program, it really means something to us all that we haven't defined yet. Yeah, it means that it, today it's a loyalty program, and tomorrow it's an airdrop. That's what it means. Yeah. The, the way the way we're describing that that term, right? And so for a Web two business. They're not ready for that yet, is kind of the short version. And I think if regulatory clarity improved at a rapid rate, we would see more of this. Right.
0: Right. Right. And I guess if you're a Web3 program, a Web3 company or project, what we're saying is start with points because no regulatory issues then, which maybe matters to you or maybe doesn't depending on your jurisdiction. No gas fees, which is way better UX for your users, and also just is going to just eliminate friction that you just don't need in the beginning, and experimentation because you can experiment with points, you can't experiment with tokenomics. A hundred percent. What one?
1: I don't think we talked about it on air. Talked about it maybe a little bit before we jumped on with ApeCoin is as one example. They airdropped token. Equivalent to the number of apes and mutants you held in your wallet. Mm -hmm. And the thinking, from what I can tell from a tokenomics point of view, was that because most of the token wouldn't be provided at launch, it would be accrued via staking. And there would be additional, you know, higher accrual rates for folks that staked those tokens to their board ape or mutant ape. The thinking there was that there would be ongoing benefit that would continue to support nft floor prices for yuga assets and back to the social science element two things happened one because it was all of the board apes and mutant apes who held the token those those staking pools filled up quite quickly and because there was a set amount of kind of allocation coming to those pools they all hit effectively equilibrium pretty quickly and and there's actually a technical thing but this is a great example of until you launch the thing you don't really know how people are going to react to it where in the the non board ape mutinate pool, folks kind of set up uh, restaking very, very easily, where it was able to generate more yield. And so, in a lot of cases, that pool was actually outperforming the, the Blood ape and mutinate pool short term, yeah. right? And th- that specific tokenomic setup, I don't know if that really would have co- worked well with this points program structure, but it's having the time in market to understand and adjust that, that is probably most meaningful with, with this change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to be in a space where everybody is sailing the ship while they're building it. Like it's a day to day, you know, adjust the sales, adjust this, adjust that. And in order to do that, you need the flexibility and points programs give you the flexibility. And at the same time, the other thing I will say is on the user side, points programs are also much better for users because they're way more clear, right? A lot of users, when you talk airdrops, people are like, what? How do I get involved in that airdrop? How do I qualify? I have to do, oh, oh! I just have to guess. Oh, you want me to just like deposit into these smart contracts, interact with these? You know, everybody's just guessing, right? And farming across. And that's, if you think about it, that's not really great for your users because they're doing a whole bunch of things that you don't really care about as a business. And it's probably friction involved in doing those things. And so you're not really teaching them what you want to be teaching them. So I'm continually hammering on this point that starting with some form of off-chain points, and I, I you know, say this being a podcaster that believes that everything should come on-chain, it's better to start off-chain. 100%. Fascinating. Okay. Zach, fi- any final thoughts on your end? And at the same time, if people out there listening are thinking to themselves, damn, I got to call up Zach and get his help with launching my points program or launching my NFT marketplace, because I know you guys do that too. How can they reach out to you? How can they find you? Yeah. You. So you can find us at snagsolutions.io.
1: Email for me is zach at snagsolutions.io, spelled the right way, Z A C H. And you can find me on Twitter. I, I, I screwed up my uh, my Twitter handle before I knew how important the name was, but Z Hairwagon on Twitter. So we'll link to the show notes because nobody's going to know how to spell your last name. <laughs> 100%. Wait, wait. My, my wife is changing hers and she she's learning the hard way just how hard it is.
0: Oh, man. My wife's going the opposite way because my wife's last name is Schwinghammer, which is a so hard to spell. Nobody knows how to spell that. And so when we got married, I, I said, you know, are you going to change your last name? And I meant to genuinely, like, I didn't expect her to. To me, like, it's not an expectation anymore. That's, you know, an old way of thinking. And uh, she was like, yeah, I'm going to change it. And I was like, oh, wow, you're so decisive. She's like, yeah, try and spell Schwinghammer. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. My last name's Hamilton. It's way easier to spell Hamilton.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so, American class. So
0: sorry sorry to your wife.
1: <laughs> no problem. Well, no, I mean, it was great chatting today, Jay. If, if folks do want to chat, points, programs, marketplaces, et cetera, I'm here for it. And uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, man. Always a pleasure to have you on. I got to ask my favorite question before I let you go. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this on the show previously, and I'm guessing you don't remember what you answered last time. It's the billboard question, if you remember this. Mm -hmm. If you had a billboard that a billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? I I had
1: a better and more humanitarian answer the first time I answered this. Right now, I I feel like decentralization in in America and and having tolerance of decentralization is, is kind of a critical thing. So, something better branded than like keep, keep crypto from going overseas, a, a better branding version of that, right? Like invest in American entrepreneurs, crypto mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have to circle back on the tagline.
0: <laughs> okay. We're not putting the billboard up in front of a billion people tomorrow. It is very important to, to have projects all over the world for sure. Zach, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, we'll definitely, you'll have to be back on the show again, I'm sure in the future.
1: Awesome. Thanks,
0: Jake. Thanks for listening in, everybody have a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.